Hello there, I'm Alyssa Olenek, scientist, exercise enthusiast, weightlifter, outdoors lover, and entrepreneur. I believe that the extremes in the fitness and wellness industries are leaving way too many of us out of the conversation, not telling us the knowledge that we actually need to succeed in our health, our wellness, our nutrition, and quite frankly, our lives. They end up giving us black and white polarizing messages that leave us more confused than giving us the answers that we need. Through my 10 years of studying exercise science, metabolism, and female physiology, as well as exploring the outdoors and being a fitness athlete myself, I'm here to bring to you the conversations that need to be had in an industry that often is too far focused on extremes. So if you join me on this podcast, I truly believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello, 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 my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast and or my YouTube channel, Docless Fitness. So for those of you tuning in on YouTube, I also have a podcast version of all of these episodes and or knowledge nuggets that you can listen to on the go if you like. But if you are watching the YouTube and you want to support me across the board, go rate, review, subscribe the podcast physically in Apple or whatever you use for podcasts. And if you are listening on the podcast on the audio, even if you love YouTube or not, if you want to go subscribe like comment on those videos it will also help me too so it's a free way to support me and my stuff across both platforms because I want to make sure that I put these things out on the YouTube and the pod so that those of you who like to listen on the go and or from your computer your phone doing cardio can kind of get the best of both worlds within it um, and access that knowledge however it is easiest for you so thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast x Docless Fitness YouTube and today what I want to talk about is menstrual cycle misinformation in the fitness industry, which is really rampant. And so I was doing some stitch videos on TikTok recently to try to debunk this. But to be honest, the absolute sheer chaos that is stitching videos to fact check them is just, it's a lot. Um, You get a lot of emotions, comments, backlash. And generally, I assume that these people that are spreading this misinformation are trying their best. Um, They're not intentionally being malicious and or I do think some are truly just trying to capitalize on women specifically, but all menstruating individuals on things that they know are trendy. And um, I think a biggest issue with this is, is that so many people, especially women or um, individuals who feel like they've been left out of the conversation, whether it's non-binary or trans or all the stuff with fitness, basically anyone who's not a cis like biological male um, based by research standards feels left out and they just want something that's going to talk about them. And you know what? I completely understand this. And I think that when I talk about these things and say there's no data to back that people think that I'm not supportive of educating on these things because there's a lot of things that we can educate when it comes to pregnancy, menstrual cycle, menopause, pelvic floor health, birth, postpartum sex differences, all of these things that are really valid and real. Um, But the data when it comes to menstrual cycle based training is not quite there and or doesn't support whatsoever are the claims that are out there. So I want to make it clear that I'm not saying none of this is real because I don't believe um, you and your own personal symptoms and or care about you. Um, I probably care more than most of these people. I want to keep that in mind before people come with me with their pitchforks and burn the witch. Um, Is that I did an entire dissertation on this stuff and I'm working the publications to get them out for you so the general science and public people can all use those, but also continuing to do formal training on women and or people who go through menopause in my postdoc experience so I can be really educated across the lifespan with you all. So I know people think that I don't care when I'm like, hmm, data doesn't back that, but I care more actually probably than a lot of these people and or a lot of these people trying to scam you. So that's kind of my like 
vote for less campaign there on that. So as a reminder for those listening, if you're coming in from YouTube, um, I am Dr. Alyssa Lenick and I did my PhD dissertation on the effects of the menstrual cycle and birth control on exercise and sport performance. And so I get tagged all the time in videos on people who are making claims around the menstrual cycle and menstrual cycle based training. And so again, probably well intended, but not backed by data. And so one of the biggest things that I see with this is that one, people saying there is a specific protocol for menstrual cycle based training and the data is not sufficient to support that. That is partially due to the fact that we just are needing more studies or lack of studies. I published that paper with Kelly, Emma and the other Emma last year on um, the sex gap in sports uh, research and really essentially like 6% of the total participants or total studies, I can't remember the exact figure, um, is women in sports science literature. So I completely agree we need more data. But the reason we also don't have a consensus on these things is because a lot of our data says that there is no impact on the menstrual cycle and specific things in performance and or it's so back and forth where like half the studies say there is, half says there isn't and or it's muddied in the water. So we just need more clear data on these things. So it's not like we have zero data on this, but some of the data we have really just says, mm, mm, doesn't really attribute to it. And we don't have a ton of specific training intervention studies. So I agree that is a gap in the literature. Um, but for now we want menstruating individuals or people who are trying to figure out their training around the period to have quality science-based evidence-based training and not just made up hypotheses because that also isn't evidence-based so claiming well there's no science on us and then using not actual science on us is actually harmful rather than pulling from what we know and applying it to the people that we're working with in a no-nonsense way and so with this being said one of the biggest things that we see with this is people saying that you should essentially spend half of your month training you should lift run do cardio for half of your month um generally during uh, the, the late follicular ovulatory phases, those kind of two weeks in your month. And then you should be spending your luteal and or menstrual cycle phases, um, PMS phases, only doing walking, gentle yoga, Pilates. The Pilates queens love this stuff, I guess. Um, your moon cycles, all of this stuff. And I, I really want to reiterate, there is not a single scientific study that says that you should only walk do yoga, Pilates, easy or gentle exercise, and your luteal, late luteal, or menstrual cycle phases. There is not a single scientific study. None. No one has tested that. Um, but it also plays into this narrative that we are weak and we are frail and doesn't pull from the data that we do know on the effects of or potential effects of menstrual cycle on these things. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the menstrual cycle, I just alluded to some phases there, but your quick rundown is that you have your menstrual phase, um, which is the onset of your of your period. And that is also considered your follicular phase, your early follicular, your hormones are at their highest and you have a rise in estrogen across the, uh, the next week, um, leading into ovulation. And this is your late follicular phase. And then you have your ovulatory phase. That's where you have an increase in things like luteinizing hormone, FSH, releasing the egg. Um, we do have a small bump in testosterone here. So a lot of people like try to use that small bump of testosterone as being the holy grail of our performance. Um, and then you have a kind of dropping of these hormones, but then a rise in progesterone and estrogen at the same time into your luteal phase. Um, that is the second half of those two weeks, um, leading up to your late, your next menstrual cycle. And then the kind of week, uh, three to five days, maybe seven days leading up to your next menstrual cycle is your PMS phase where those hormones just start to drop again before you shed your uterine lining and repeat the cycle all over again. So it's between anywhere from like 21 to 35 days. The average is 28. Um, 
if you're concerned with your cycle length, talk to your doctor. Um, but with that being said, a lot of people are claiming that because of the high uh, availability of estrogen only, estrogen is a really good hormone. It's our friend. We love it. We love estrogen. Um, that we should really only be strength training or training um, after we finish our menstrual cycle for that first half of the menstrual cycle. Um, basically, once we're done menstruating, quote unquote, those first early days, only doing intensity, lifting, harder training up to ovulation, then we should like blow it out of the water during ovulation. And then, oh, the luteal phase is here. And so we are completely incapable. We should only do gentle stuff. And so a lot of these claims come from the idea that one, people think high intensity exercise is stressful. Um, there is a little bit of data to support that maybe we need greater recovery times or recovery considerations during the luteal phase. Um, and people really demonize the luteal phase, but we also have data that shows increased growth hormone and, or, you know, good performance in the luteal phase compared to other phases. So I don't want you to think the luteal phase is like the worst phase of the month. Um, and, or you can't get any training adaptations or exercise at all during it. That's a harmful narrative. And so, um, a lot of what, is being suggested though, is that we only train two weeks out of the month and then we don't train for the other two months and I, two weeks out of the month. And I want to really stress the fact that this is not a health promoting message, especially to people who are women or menstruate and, or, um, you know, trans or non-binary individuals, all groups of people who are generally undertrained to begin with. Fitness has really never been for them. And I completely agree with that point. In fact, that fitness hasn't been catered to these populations that are basically just not dude bros in the gym. But that doesn't mean that you don't need good science. I cannot reiterate this enough. And so these populations are undertrained. They have lower prevalence of meeting the physical activity guidelines, especially for resistance and strength training. And so when it comes to your menstrual cycle, training around these things, the importance of priorities. I cannot stress that a well-established training program comes before all of this um, and really, really impacts this. It doesn't matter if you periodize periodize around your period if you're not really training intentionally or well to begin with um, and finding a well-structured training program that can use things like auto-regulation and or a person can figure out their own personal response of their individual cycle um, to a more consistent training plan will tell you more about cycle and its effect on training than just haphazard random training under training taking days off all over the place because there's more things in our lives that affect our training than just our hormones so hormones do have slight or potential impacts on things but we have to recognize that we are a dynamic, complex human who have stressors from our work, their life, they're raising kids, poor sleep, other things that go on. And nutrition is a big piece of that as well. And so there's not just this direct, large influence of your hormones on your training. There's many things that go into this factor and or affect your training within these things. So with that being said, you know, we are dynamic, complex human beings. And with that comes having a unique cycle experience for each of us um, that can be different person to person and month to month. And that is one of the reasons why these blanket statements are harmful and or difficult because you might feel different than your friend or your sister-in-law or, you know, some other individual in your community or your gym. And your experience in training adaptations might be different and you should adjust those to yourself so you can perform the best, meet the physical activity guidelines and or your training desires or demands or whatever you're trying to get out of that thing. And so one of the biggest influences that I think it gets left out this conversation 10 times out of 10 is the effect of nutrition, adequate nutrition on health, 
stress of exercise, performance, all of these things, because people like to demonize, like I said, um, exercise during the luteal phase, late luteal phase, menstrual phase, because it's more stressful and it being more stressful means it makes us fat or it increases cortisol or it's hurting us or it's unbalancing our hormones. And I cannot reiterate enough to you listening to this podcast, whether, you know, you are a woman, you have a menstrual cycle, or you're a male coach who works with females, the effect of nutrition on these things. These populations that we're telling to not train half the month not only don't meet the exercise guidelines, but they also tend to have poor dietary patterns and or restrict their food intake. And that is huge because inadequate carb intake and inadequate calorie intake is actually really stressful in the body. That can lead to a lot of these negative effects that we're touting on second half of the menstrual cycle, early menstrual cycle phase activity, like increased cortisol, increased stress, poor performance outcomes come from inadequate nutrition that is a bigger risk on metabolic health and hormonal health than not training around your cycle appropriately that i cannot express that inadequate intake um will decrease performance regardless of cycle phase or oral contraceptive use um it will increase stress of the activity it will blunt adaptation and it will there's another big point that i was going to make here um it can, it's more harmful or more damaging than any of these other things. So your hormones will be downregulated. That was the point that I was trying to make from inadequate food intake, amenorrhea or dysregulated cycles and or bone loss, muscle tissue loss, poor performance from loss of menstrual cycle are more of a negative effect on these things than your cycle itself. I cannot stress that enough. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like either you don't have a solid nutrition plan or you don't have a solid training plan, those are the big rocks that you want to start with first the messy middle podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking in a world full of juice cleanses detox teas fancy promises it can really be hard to trust anything but high quality supplements when dosed appropriately can actually help support your fitness goals and that's why i use legion I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they're fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. Adequate nutrition of in and you know enough protein in across the entire month, maybe a little bit more in the luteal phase, as well increased carbohydrate with maybe more in the follicular phase and a little bit more time to run your workouts in the follicular phase if you really want to get, you know, nitty gritty. But really your whole daily nutrition matters more than those small fine details. Eating enough, eating adequate protein. So point, you know, point seven to point. 
um, eight grams per day is probably or per pound of body weight is probably a good place for most of you women have a little bit more fat. So um, if you don't want to eat one gram per pound of body weight per day, aim for estimated lean mass or total uh, lean mass. Um, if you don't know what that is, kind of just get a rough calculation either from a DEXA and InBody. There's an app called My Made App that we can link in the notes here below that I technically have an affiliate with. It's like really cheap and it will take a photo of you and give you an estimate. Um, even if you have a rough estimate from one of those BIA scales, even though they're not really that great, um, unless they're used really well and correctly, just a rough estimate for your protein intake. If you feel like that one gram per pound of body weight per day is too much, but really for most of you listening, you probably want to get in at least hundred grams of protein a day. Um, if you're a more petite woman and then, you know, as you're, you're getting bigger, I suppose, like someone my size, I aim for a minimum of 115 per day because that's my lean body mass up to 145 a day. So, um, that's kind of the range of which I have a minimum, but I want to get higher if I can aiming for about 125 to 135 a day for me, 145 pound woman, if that gives you all contacts. And then for my friends that, um, are taller and, or carry more mass, um, getting into that 160s to 180s, 180s to 200 plus, um, just increasing slightly with that. But if more of that is coming from fat mass, you don't need to just keep eating protein. But my point of all this is that you need to be eating adequately. I just wanted to go on the protein, I guess, detour rant because people get really flustered about that um, amounts of that, um, as well as in an adequate amount of carbohydrate. Carbohydrate has a direct impact on our performance, our metabolism, in our health and you need that to drive the exercise and the stress from exercise. And so we want to support it. So fat is great. We want fat in our diet, but you generally, your body isn't going to want to take fat and turn it into um, glucose or metabolize it when we're doing higher, harder intensity stuff or longer duration stuff. So you want to have enough adequate carbohydrate to support that. So again, big rocks here we are talking about are going to be Adequate nutrition, loss of cycle, making sure you're having a cycle, making sure you're eating enough, you're eating consistently. Um, if you want to regulate your hormones and your blood hormones and things like that, like glucose and insulin, which are also hormones, um, which also can have a positive or negative effect on our actual quote unquote hormones that we're balancing, is eating regular meals across the day, including, including carbs, protein, and fat with them adequate carbohydrates leading into our exercise activity. All these things will keep our blood glucose stable, um, keep us healthy and happy, eating a breakfast, not skipping, not training fasted all the time. All that stuff is really great advice that does come out of the side of the fitness industry. And I think that that is not completely, um, egregiously misplaced, but then it extrapolates into stuff that isn't true. Um, so those are all great advice and nutrition is big rocks, hydration, adequate macronutrients. There's a chart that came from a recent study this year that really did show that your macro nutrient composition and hydration, then your micronutrient composition and then appropriate training, um, and well-dosed periodized good solid training. Then at the very top is cycle based considerations. And so for many of you listening to this, if you're a gen pop person, there's kind of one or two ways you can look at this one. I'm not elite. So I don't really need to worry about this because it probably doesn't matter because I have so many stressors affecting my performance that it's all over the place. And I need to move to stay healthy and get my training goals and not spend two of my weeks being sedentary, which is a negative, um, potentially on my health, or I have really severe symptoms during different times of the month. So I need to figure out a way to work around those so I can keep training and moving forward while also considering the other things that I have in my life. If you're more serious trainee and you really want to do this, you absolutely can. Um, when it comes to like that top little bit, if you feel like it helps, but just recognize that there isn't any blanket applications for this at this time. And so there's not like one thing I can tell you that say, Hey, absolutely do this. So figure out what kind of works best for you. And so with that being said, when it comes to symptoms of the period or the period cycle, a lot of people either self-report or note we have some reports from the current data that performance is either decreased or feels decreased and or cognitive um, 
emotional feelings towards anything high intensity are decreased in that late luteal early follicular phase. So really your PMS window into your menstrual cycle phase. And so you might feel that, and that is completely normal and valid. And I'm not going to deny that that's real and say, Hey, you should be hundred percent all the time. If you have symptoms there, especially extreme PMS, things like that, totally valid. Like your individual cycle is not invalid. Um, or someone else might not feel those things whatsoever and might like that time. So you will possibly notice slight decreases in performance during these times. And, or really a big thing is that, um, Mentally, cognitively, high intensity might be less enjoyable. You might have some changes in your brain serotonin, as well as just water and fluid retention, which can potentially feel like it impacts your performance and how you feel, cramps, any of those things. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that your hormones are making you frail or weak. It just means that the symptoms response to those things from other different physiological systems might impact your either performance or your perceived performance, which your perception and how you feel and your self-narrative and or emotional and or current state can affect performance regardless of uh, menstrual cycle phase or hormone profile at that time. So performance is affected by cognitive things all of the time. And so with that being said, the decrease in performances there doesn't necessarily mean that adaptation cannot occur. And that's a huge thing. And so if we're looking at the follicular phase, um, a lot of people tout that the follicular phase is the better phase of the menstrual cycle to train in because of the estrogen present and because the progesterone isn't there since progesterone is considered slightly catabolic, breaking down muscle tissue, um, things like that. And so we really only have a handful of studies that do this. Um, and it looks at the follicular versus luteal phase and single limb training. And there's some issues with that in itself, but it does say, yeah, if you're doing only training the follicular with maybe one session in the luteal, it is better than doing more training in the luteal than the follicular. What we don't have though is concrete data to say that only training in the follicular phase is better than training across the whole month. We have one study that kind of looked at it when you remove birth control users, it kind of showed there was nearly no difference in muscle um, gain or strength um, for the most part, especially strength. So we can't conclusively say that only training in your follicular phase is better than your training across the month, but it's probably better if you're going to front load the month than back load the month. Yeah, that is probably a more advantageous thing if you insist upon doing this. So with that being said, though, your hormones are really low and or rising estrogen in this follicular phase. So even if you are on your menstrual cycle, that doesn't mean that you can't have one really great performance outcomes, really great races, really great PRs or really great training sessions, despite the feelings that you have, as long as they're not pathological and or really impairing your personal ability to, you know, do things, um, depending on your PMS or PMDD type symptoms, um, and, or other things that you might have going on physiologically that you should talk to a doctor about. But if you want to, you can still have really good training sessions during that week because your hormone state is potentially maybe tiny advantageous to those things, um, during that time. And the same thing applies with the luteal phase. So while luteal phase training doesn't seem need to move my mouse doesn't seem to be more advantageous than follicular based phase training that doesn't mean you can't get adaptations during this time there is still potential for strength and or muscle hypertrophy the bigger issue is that you might need a greater recovery time greater recovery windows things like that you might feel hotter you might need to focus on electrolytes carbohydrates um, around your performance and more food and so the biggest thing is if you are someone who feels like your luteal phase training affects you eat more carbohydrates directly around your workout increase your calories back to maintenance or 100 to 300 calories per day. Um, you might be craving more fat. That's fine. Um, something like an apple or oatmeal with some nut butter or chocolate, things like that would be really good. But if you just want to eat a cupcake, by my all means, I'm not going to stop you. But thinking about foods that might help support your performance during that time, eating a little bit more, not being in a deficit if that feels too difficult for you. 
But some people do have really good training sessions during this time. And some of our metrics of performance don't even appear to be um, impaired during this time. Or they are impaired until we carbohydrate feed and then that impairment goes away. So that's really important. So if you're someone who likes to train fasted and you feel like your performance is affected in that second half of your phase, eat some carbs before you go to the gym in the morning or some carbs in general, increase your carbohydrate intake. I know I seem like a big show for carbs, but that can decrease a lot of things, add some electrolyte lights to your water, things like that. But you can still train, you can still get stronger, you can still lose things. There's some slight reports of increased growth hormone during this period of time. And so you can still train through this phase. And like I said, there is no data that says that training across the whole month is worse or different than training just in the first half of the month. It's only when you train a one versus the other. So you can take that with, you know, whatever consideration you want. If you want to do more volume in the follicular phase, by all means, go, go for it. Do you? Um, but there's no data that shows that you can have training differences across the month compared to the two. And so the whole point of that rant was that you can still get adaptations in your early menstrual cycle part of that follicular phase. You're not impaired through your late uh, follicular phase and through your ovulatory phase and even into your luteal phase. So really what we're seeing is that any decreases in performance or mentally perceived decreases in performance are coming in that late luteal phase, pre-PMS phase, and or early menstruation. So really like a five-day window of the month. So if we are going to use the data to drive our statements, what we should be telling individuals is that you should personally adjust for that five-day window as you seem necessary, but that doesn't actually mean that you're taking off two full weeks of training or exercise. You might be taking off an extra rest day um, the day before and or day of the onset of your cycle, and you can shift your training back or forth to accommodate for that if that is your own personal experience or just as needed but it doesn't mean that you only have to do those things that are gentle, easy during that time. If you enjoy higher, harder intensity exercise during that luteal phase, late luteal phase, just make sure that you're complementing it with easy conditioning and or extra rest, more sleep, more food, and or if you need to take an extra rest day between training sessions, then you might so you have more recovery time because you might have slightly delayed delayed recovery time during that time so that you're able to still push at the outputs that you want to during your time. And so another great tool that I love to use for these things is RPE. So using rating of perceived exertion or the scale of one to 10 to determine how hard things are. So that way across the month, you can auto-regulate to the stressors of both your life and or personal hormonal experience. And this is incredible for gen pop because it's a really easy tool that can factor in for all the things you have going on because you're not an athlete who's controlling every aspect of their life where the effect of hormones is probably going to be potentially more significant if it is there. And so RPE allows you to adjust to the intensity or the volume or the demands of your training um, while also factoring in your general day-to-day -day fatigue, whether that's from undereating, poor sleep, stress at work, you know, other past training sessions that are causing fatigue on your training. It accounts for all of those things within it. So if you're doing the list method program, we use RPE. And if I say you need to do three sets of five at RPE seven, and in week one, you're doing three sets of five um, deadlifts at 200, then you go to 205 the next week. And then maybe you're not feeling so great the next week. Maybe you underslept, maybe you didn't eat enough, or maybe it is your luteal phase. Who knows what it is? You might go back down to 200 because that feels like you're seven that week. Stay at 200 and then up the next time you go through week one, week two, week three, you're doing 205, 210, 215. And it can account for for your own individual variation within these things. So there is, again, no data that says you don't get to train across these things. You should adjust it to your own training cycle. And so the other big point of contention I have here is saying that your cortisol will be elevated, making you fat during these times. And so there was a meta-analysis that came out this year that actually showed that basal cortisol, like your resting cortisol in the morning, is actually higher in the follicular phase than the luteal phase, um, which is funny because that's contradictory 
contradictory to what other people are saying. Um, as well as I have a great researcher, uh, Katie Clancy, who's coming out with a book next year, and she's a client. She does a lot of great work with this, who has data that shows either no differences across the cycle or even higher in the luteal phase. So it's really messy um, with that. But a cortisol response or a high stress response to higher intensity exercise is a normal biological response. Um, and it does not make you necessarily fat. This is why we want programmed, well-periodized training. So that stress response to training is in all of your training all the time. But high intensity exercise is good for you. It's beneficial metabolically. We just don't want to abuse that. And so if you personally feel like intensity is too much during different times of your life or month, by all means, back off, go to a zone two type training um, intensity or model, um, or just take a day where you take an RPE approach to your Metcons or WADs. And that's okay to do things for quality rather than effort or time and still get a good workout in while accounting for the fact that you might not be able to recover as well. Um, can't push as hard. Don't feel as great. You can kind of take that approach to auto-regulate your training based on your perceived uh, impacts of your cycle or life on your training. Um, the cortisol itself, of being present doesn't automatically mean it's bad for you. If you're eating enough, recovering enough, sleeping enough, periodize your training, that stress response is important. You'll adapt to it over time and it will be less stressful in your body the more you do things. Um, but it's not inherently harmful to do intensity during different times of the month. You just want to make sure you're accounting for your own perceived symptoms and or recovery needs during this time. And again, food intake right? You're not destroying your hormones by doing these things if you're accounting for these other variables. But if those other variables aren't in alignment, then yes, maybe it's a good idea to back off if you're underfed and poorly slept for a day. Take an extra rest day, bump your training over. If you have magnifying systems, magnifying symptoms that you can see after tracking between three to six menstrual cycles, adjusting your week's programming or scheduling so that you can know when those days come up, you're probably not going to want to go to the gym and you can account for that within your training and your own individual experience. And so I'm going to wrap this up by saying once again, there is no, there is not a single scientific study that says that you should only do yoga, Pilates, gentle walking um, for two weeks out of the month. You can train across the entire month. If you have real symptoms, they are valid, but you should track your cycles for three to six months and see how you personally respond to things. Some people feel terrible when they're ovulating. Some people feel fantastic. Some people feel really good in their luteal phase and some people feel really terrible. And so whenever I make posts like this, I see so many different responses from so many individuals who have such a variable response in these things that it's impossible to say, hey, you're right and you're wrong. And this is why we can't take a one blanket approach. So while it would be really helpful to have that, um, we are pulling from the data and I'm pulling from the science and data. And this is really what it's saying at this point in time. Um, so when people are like, well, there's no data on us, so I'm going to make up a hypothesis or this is what the data says. Well, the data doesn't really say what they're telling you to do. So with that being said, um, I hope that was really helpful. I'm hoping to come out with some lectures and talks and or paid resources for you all to learn a little bit more from me on these things and hopefully getting my dissertation studies out there to the world um, so we can see what I found as well as how it complements and fits in with the other data because my studies are not the end all be all. But as a reminder, I love you. I care about your metabolic health. I'm not trying to scam you, um, but you don't need to listen to these things. You need to figure out what works for you and it's okay if these approaches work for you, but I want you to remember that you are not weaker. Menstruation doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make us frail and the narratives around that that say that we are weaker, frailer, less capable are just harmful and telling yourself that sets a fixed mindset and or set you up for impaired performance and we want a growth mindset with this and so being honest with yourself about your symptoms and how you feel is totally okay but I want you to think strong and stronger never strong and weak because you are strong and you are stronger and you have never been anything else but that. So thank you for tuning in for another podcast, YouTube video. I love having you here. Please again, remember to rate, review, subscribe, all of the things. Um, it helps me so much. Comment below if you learned something and or 
have any questions about this you want to learn more about otherwise you know follow the podcast on where you listen to any other podcast um like the youtube channel and or follow me on the gram or the talk doc list fitness across the board on all things um to keep learning more about these subjects um and yeah if you want well-programmed based training, periodized based training that uses auto-regulation for you so you can adjust it to your own personal needs, you can join the list method. Um, we would love to have you and I do all this for you while using RPE so you can adjust for these things and account for yourself with all of this. So thank you. Have a fantastic day. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next episode and or video.